For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Well, it's a small group tonight with old Dharma friends, so it's good to be with you all. Um, I'll get to thank you for dedicating the service to the victims of gun violence, especially among the, the people at Highland Park. We're also part of our wider context that we live and practice in is um, the 4th of July. We may be hearing some fireworks at Winnemac Park and elsewhere, and uh, all of us and others have the have a whole variety of feelings and thoughts about um, Independence Day and about our nation today. So we, we practice within that wider container, even as we talk, as I, as I will be tonight, talking about um, some fairly individual, personal kind of approaches to, to practice. Tonight I want to speak about the, uh, the Four Noble Truths, um, especially how we uh, work with attachments, how we practice with attachments. Um, often the Four Noble Truths have been translated into English as life is suffering, the cause of suffering is desire, there is an end to suffering, and the way is the Eightfold Path. Now, many people have um, translated that in ways that uh, they feel is more accurate and uh, a lot of interpretation that we all do with those. And I just offer you my own take on, on the Four Noble Truths and the way I might uh, word it, at least as of today, would be that first, there is suffering throughout our lives. Sometimes our attachment is the cause, what has been called desire, but I think more broadly about attachment. Both attachment and aversion, because aversion is another form of attachment. It's attachment to things not being the way they are, or not ending up the way we don't want them to be. So there is suffering throughout our lives, and sometimes our attachment is the cause, but sometimes our attachment is not the cause of our suffering. However, there is always attachment in suffering. Thirdly, our attachments can be seen and unmasked, their power diminished. The word end is a pretty strong word, uh, that there is an end to suffering. So I would say that our attachments can be seen, unmasked, and their power diminished, and therefore suffering can be diminished in its power. And lastly, for Buddhists, the Eightfold Path is a practice that makes all of this possible. So I really see this as two movements. One is, the first movement is, suffering and its causes, and secondly, the disempowering of attachment and how that might take place. So I'll talk about those two movements. First, uh, suffering and and its cause. Sometimes suffering is uh, caused by our attachments very directly. Um, As I began to think about this, um, the the situation that came immediately to mind for me has been... um, a fair amount of suffering that I've created for myself over the last few years 
um, in in volunteering to be um, on the board of my condom association. And uh, then, if that weren't enough, uh, the chair of the litigation committee in a lawsuit between uh, the, the 15 members of the condom association. And, uh, and it, it's been a painful situation. I think others who, who were in those, might be in those positions might be relatively unaffected. I, I know some people, some friends of mine, for instance, who probably wouldn't have suffered much in doing those things. It might have been annoying, but uh, the, the level of distress that I brought upon myself with my own attachments <laughs> is not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, universal. I went through enormous stress. I have been going through enormous stress. It's almost over, but, um, you know, not being able to sleep some nights, uh, worrying uh, about all sorts of things, uh, trying to make sure that things got tied up the way I wanted them to. And it, it's been a real... Um, very strong opportunity to see my attachments close up. I mean, it's been alarming, frankly, to, to see how my brain just won't let go, just will not let go in certain ways. Uh, and the stakes have felt so high that, uh, you know, it's as if the world is ended and I'm trying to save it and nobody else is going to help. Uh, and, and that's how strong my attachments were far that have very little to do with objective reality. And so my own attachments were things like being liked, respected, and listened to, which has not happened. <laughs> um, my pride, being able, uh, under other circumstances, to bring people together, to appeal to our common values, to be transparent and build consensus. In other words, effective leadership, that did not happen. Um, and then this terrible fear that everything was going to fall apart, but that nobody seemed to care but me, and that chaos would ensue. And it was just this irrational, it has been this irrational attachment. Um, and, you know, you know, there's $100,000 involved in two and a half years, and people arguing with lawyers and all that kind of stuff, delays, which is annoying. But again, the strength with which I felt my attachment was clearly suffering that I was bringing on myself. Um, now, secondly, and I'll get, get to what, you know, how, the second part of what do we do with our attachments in a moment, but I want to illustrate another form of attachment that is not our doing. Um, you know, the statement, life is suffering and the cause of suffering is attachment, is a pretty blanket statement that doesn't take into account uh, a lot of things like car accidents. The cause of the suffering that comes out of the car accident is not attachment. Um, the cause, the, the cause of cancer, is not attachment. Um, and I, and I had a you know first first row seat on that. Um, I have had for the past ten years or so, as, as all of you know, with my wife's uh, lung disease and then transplant and the really rough recovery. Uh, that, especially at first, and that continues in some ways. And uh, moving here to Chicago for medical care mostly and being uprooted and not knowing anyone and not being employed at that point because I was retired, uh, the kind of alienation, um, sense of where am I and what am I doing, um, 
is this all going to end badly? Um, these were forms of suffering that I did not bring on by my attachment. I didn't cause Susanna's lung disease. I didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't my, uh, you know, attachment that brought us to live in a place where I didn't know anybody and felt loneliness. And, and there's lots of people in this world, people up in Highland Park tonight, for God's sake, are, are, did not bring on their own suffering because of their attachment. Um, and so I want to broaden that second noble truth to say that sometimes suffering is caused by our attachments and sometimes it is not. However, and this is the point I want to make as I looked at my own suffering, where it was in relation to something that was not my doing, is that, however, wherever there is suffering, there is attachment. And that's the practice. It, it doesn't matter what the cause is. There, there is attachment because we are human. And for me, some of the attachments that have come up over the past decades, a decade have been around this, this issue have been disappointment. Life shouldn't be this hard for me. Uh, this is not how I envisioned my life going. It's not how I envisioned retirement. Uh, one of my attachments was self-doubt. There's something wrong with me that I can't just go with the flow. I mean, why can't I just embrace the change and enjoy the life that is now before me? What's wrong with me? Uh, one of my attachments had to do with identity. Um, I, I am a Westerner. I'm, I'm not a big city West, uh, Midwesterner. What am I doing here? How can I ever feel at home? Another attachment was entitlement. How come I can't have it all, you know? Good medical care, living in a place where I want to live, being near my family and my kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all attachments that were brought to the fore by the suffering that I did not create. And so whenever there is suffering, our attachments come, come out. Uh, it's just inevitable. So the second part of the noble truths, if, if, this, if suffering is a fact, and if it is sometimes caused by our attachments and sometimes not, although we still bring our attachments into that suffering, the second part of the four noble truths is really what do we do about it? Um, and the, it starts off with uh, there is an end to suffering, or as I would put it, it is possible to disempower attachment and therefore suffering. There is liberation or some measure of it that is possible. And this is really what hope is about. And uh, inspiration, bodhicitta. For me, the kind of bodhicitta that, that arose out of these situations, that both of which I, I described to you in my life, was that this was a golden, this is a golden opportunity to grow in the Dharma, and to grow as a bodhisattva, to move with my attachments in a compassionate way to a place of um, more liberation. Because that's where it happens. It, you know, that's why the Four Noble Truths talk about there is attachment and there is liberation. It's because it's through the, the attachments that we, that we discover uh, more liberation. When times are easy, when we're not attached, when we're just going with the flow, there's not a lot of opportunity for liberation. 
And so I, my, part of my bodhicitta in the last decade has been, you know, what a golden opportunity. <laughs> I've got this amazing sangha. I've got uh, stuff to study. I've got time. Um, I've got a loving relationship, loving relationships in my family and friends. Uh, um, I'm safe. I've got enough food to eat. Uh, this is a golden opportunity to, to go directly towards, in a compassionate way, towards my attachments and see how I might um, become more freed up through them, in them. What, what better, better opportunity that, than this now? And so that was my bodhicitta. And the fourth noble truth is really moves beyond hope to, well, here's how you do it. <laughs> and that is the Eightfold Path, which I, I don't know many people that, that take the, the um, Eightfold Path literally. Like, these are the eight, eight things you do, and that's all you have to do, and you always have to do these eight. But the way I look at it really is that it's, it's, a, it's a comprehensive view. It, in essence, it's saying... Um, in order to uh, find liberation as an attached person, we have, we have to be comprehensive. And we have to be willing to look at everything. And life is a session in that sense, uh, all of everyday life. Uh, because it has to do with right view, right thinking, right speech, right action, right livelihood, our work that we do, right effort right mindfulness, right concentration. And, and so it's, it's everything. Uh, it's, it's not a formula. It's rather pointing to the breadth of the practice. Uh, and I think that's really what the Eightfold Path is really about. Uh, but it, it, it's, asked, it's inviting us to work with our thoughts, our emotions, our relationships, our work, our desire for liberation, our bodhicitta, our zazen practice. In, in my case, both in uh, with this major life disruption that I described and the, the condo wars, um, my attachments were um, deeply ingrained. I mean, I, I have had the opportunity to, to go to what feels like the source of, of early childhood things that I had dealt with uh, years ago in therapy and still am aware of, things that are patterns of thought and behavior uh, that are um, very persistent and uh, ever, ever present in some ways. And uh, so it's not just a matter of letting go. It's like, oh, I'm attached. I'll let go. <laughs> it's easier said than done. Or, or just I'll just zazen my way through this. It takes a lot more than that. So I really have been working with my attachments in, in, in trying to do so in a broad way. And I, I just want to mention four ways in which I've been working with attachments so that you can think about how do you work with your attachments? How, how do you do this? Because um, my story is not the point here. It's really how, how do you work with attachments to move towards that, that hope that's in our bodhicitta. Um, one of the ways that I worked with my attachments was really through study. 
just over and over reading and hearing talks and, and reading, you know, the, the ancient teachers and contemporary ones, getting it through my very thick skull that it really is about change and impermanence, that life is really not about planning and sorting things out and getting what we want or, ex- or expect, that life really is fluid and there's a there's an interconnection that is kind of miraculous when when especially when we're not in control and things kind of move together. Uh, it's, it's possible to trust those things, and that's all that's all in the Dharma. That's all that's all part of our study that we do over and over and over and hear it in so many ways from sources that are very old that have been saying this for a very long time. Another place that I've practiced with attachments has been uh, through Sangha, coming here with, with you folks, Dharma friends, supporting one another, doing this kind of work together. Uh, it's nuances, it's applications in our daily lives, what we struggle with. Dokusan, informal practice conversation. This is what I'm struggling with in terms of my practice and my life. A third area for me of uh, working with uh, attachments has been really self-examination. And this is, you know, in the Eightfold Path about right view and right thinking. How is it that I allow my brain to get captured so easily and then run along these um, neural pathways that are so deeply ingrained and so old or have been reinforced by partial success all these years. You know, they kind of work. How is it that I allow myself once again to do that and then reinforce it further in the here and now? And and how can I stop uh, the way I think, uh, the way I view things and question it? And fourthly, of course, and maybe the most importantly that we... Uh, uh, emphasize a lot here is zazen. That uh, in in zazen, it's it's a it's a another golden opportunity to see our attachments uh, right in front of us all the time. What what is the way that our brain works? Observing our mind, observing the self in action as it does what it does. Seeing, in my case, my fears that the world is coming to an end if I don't figure it all out right now, or that something terrible is going to happen with Susanna's health. You know, seeing that stuff come up is, is an, a direct encounter, a physical encounter with my attachments in the moment. And that's the most powerful place to uh, relate to them compassionately and to, to befriend them and to not question them in a harsh way, but question them gently. Like, you know, like you would say to a, a, a three-year-old, like my grandson, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> and, and how is it feeling for you? And, you know, how can I support you? And what, what effect does this have? And that happens in Zaza as we just simply experience it. I'm not talking about thinking our way through it in Zaza, but simply experience it and say, oh, here I am. Look, look at this. And, and discovering something at the same time that's much, 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 much bigger than our brain and our little attachments and our worries. 
something that is vast, that, that puts all of, it, all of it in perspective immediately. And that's always available in Zazen. So I guess what I want to close with is, is in the end, um, the Four Noble Truths are not um, uh, a formula. They're not um, there to aim towards a final goal of total liberation from all our attachments. The language, as it's been translated in English, often seems to say that. There is an end to attachments. There is total liberation. And the kind of hyperbole with which a lot of Zen teachers speak seems to point to that. Uh, it's not about uh, getting rid of our damaged or delusional or bad parts of ourselves in, in favor of some other idea of ourselves. It's a path. Uh, the, the, the Four Noble Truths are a way of life. Seeing our conditioned self, our attachments, studying ourself, becoming familiar, feeling it in action. And, and while we do that, the attachments will still come up. But one thing I've learned after many years of this is that they come up with less and less power. And I, and I believe them less and less. They still come up, but I don't really believe them. And, and because of that, they don't really have any power. And they certainly don't have the power they used to have. They don't control my life the way they used to. They may bother me, and I, and I may have stress that comes from but I know what it is. I know this is attachment at work. This is not objective reality. As, as we've often quoted around here, there's a story about Shunryu Suzuki. I don't know if this is completely accurate or not, but I like it, and I'll tell it the way I know it, which is that one time in a talk he said, the problem you have now will be with you, pause, during that pause, people in the audience were thinking he's going to say, finish the sentence with, until you're enlightened, but he didn't. The problem you will have now will be with you, dot, 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 until you die. Uh, but with practice, it won't always dominate you. We might see it as an old, sometimes annoying friend uh, that, that we, learn, we, we learn how to deal with. So um, I would love to hear something about how um, you all work with attachments and find some measure of liberation. Jerry. Thank you very much for your talk. It uh, resonated with me because I, too, was on my condo board for a very <laughs> stressful period of time. And I, too, blew it out of the sense of reality. It was just doom and gloom and sleepless nights. And, and part of it was okay because as, as crazy as I felt and as stressed out, there was a part of my brain that said, okay, you're blowing this up. Okay, it's not as bad as you think. Okay, we've seen some of this. But I think the big thing that I learned is there were things that I was doing or approaches that I was taking that I was not proud of. And to take that in as okay, and to say, yes, you're on the board if you did the best you could, and you're doing the best you could, but it wasn't perfect, that was very hard. Um, 
And I do think it gets it gets easier to do with practice. And I also notice that sometimes something will come up and it's like very familiar. It's like the same sort of characteristics or points come back. And when I see them as an old friend, it makes it sort of easier to work with and to without so much self-punishment over it or a sense of you know for a long time I think you've been practicing all this time you should be past this now. That's kind of there's, how does that even make sense? Yeah, so, but, and I also think there are times when I do think I can zazen my way through. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I probably will think that in the future at some point as well. Yeah. But, so thank you. Yeah, the meditation is, is really only a, a small part of the end of the Eightfold Path, isn't it? Um, I mean, I think it's, it's larger maybe for us in our practice than some of the other parts, but it's 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 not the only thing. Yeah, seeing ourselves not at our best is is a that that gets at our attachments too. Because you know I there's a part of me that really wants to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in public. And and I don't like that I hurt other people by not being at my best. I don't like that. Uh, but but as you said it's well, welcome to the human race. Uh, and you can always say, I'm sorry. That's the amazing thing. <laughs> yes, we'll get to it. Thank you for a very beautiful offering and personal offering. Um, I have a lot of responses to it, um, but one of the things that just pops in my mind is just this uh, line from Shanti Deva, which is the protection of all beings is accomplished through the acknowledgement of one's mistakes. Of one's mistakes. Mistakes. So the way that wisdom, you know, one shorthand for the Eightfold Path, right, is uh, precepts meditation, samadhi, and uh, prajna, wisdom, super good wisdom, <laughs> ordinary life. I know how this board should work. I know how the dawn should put the charcoal in the incense. So, so there's something about acknowledging like the Ehekoso Hatsuko one, quietly explore the furthest reaches of these causes and conditions right. in our own mind and in our own bodies. Right. So, you know, I don't know about you, just a little warm in here. So we don't even need giant tragedy or, you know, in our lives to like practice with discomfort. So, you know, it's like, oh, it's kind of warm. How should I handle this? to take care of it, and then to take care of a situation. So I think that at some point we're constantly practicing yeah. and acknowledging, confessing, but taking refuge in Sangha and Dharma, in the precepts, in Samadhi, that allows us to settle in 
know. And it takes a lot of effort. There is a kind of effort that practice takes. Like we all make a lot of effort to show up tonight, to be here for each other, to take care of the Zendo, even though we're probably a little tired and whatnot from so I mean that's how I practice. Like I noticed, you know, during the pandemic I felt like I'm lazy in practice. Um so my response personally was to double up. Put in more effort to, you know, move beyond this, like, oh, maybe I'll sit a little less longer today. Maybe I'll, you know, skip something. And this could be anything in life, but I think there is something about like we encourage each other to keep with it. Like you're keeping with it, Brian, right? Like you're like, this board thing, it's endless. <laughs> but, you know, even when it ends, like the actual lawsuit or whatever gets settled and the money is distributed, there's still going to be like some residue from that. So like, that's like Play-Doh for practice. <laughs> anyway, that's sort of how I work with it and some of my thoughts. So thank you for protecting all beings. Thank you for bringing up uh, taking refuge. I, I think sometimes when I'm struggling with my own uh, attachments and failures and not knowing how to be freer or more helpful or whatever. It just helps to remember that there's refuge, that I, I, I can not know. I can, I can come here. I, I, can, I can go to um, some reading. I can listen to a talk. I can talk with one of you. Uh, I can sit in, in Zaza, and and it's just a relief. I don't have to. I don't have to figure it out. I just go there. And there is refuge. I just want to say something that suffering. I believe, from a Buddhist perspective, is not discomfort that like suffering is born of ignorance you know so you might be lack comfort with situations or have difficulties like physical afflictions or you know car accident somebody these are serious things that happen but i don't think that's that it's the relationship with the suffering that creates the kind of karmically dangerous suffering. So if you feel pain fully to the end, without trying to control it, you will feel discomfort or you feel what we call pain, perhaps. But I don't think that's what Buddha meant by suffering. So that's just my take on it. Are you saying that the Perhaps the Buddha, what he meant by suffering was more the kind of suffering that is produced by our attachments? Maybe by attachments, by ignorance. Ignorance, by delusion. By patterns. Yeah, okay. That, um, by the, yeah, by habit patterns. Well, and by the vows we make to ourselves. Like, yeah. I need to be the best at something. Right. I can never make a mistake. I need to control this. 
you know, that kind of stuff. That's kind of gross level, but it gets finer and finer. Well, it, it, it sort of brings to mind, uh, this, I, know, I know this isn't really what you're saying, but it brings to mind that saying here a lot these days, which is uh, pain is inevitable, inevitable suffering is, is optional, which is trying to get at that, but it's a little confusing for me at least. And I think what it might be trying to get at is there is difficulty in life, extreme difficulty for some people. To suffer on top of that with our delusion and ignorance and attachments uh, and self-serving and all those other things is an extra layer of pain that um, perhaps we can do something about with practice. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that, that kind of thing. Um, that layer is really thick. Yeah. Yeah. And complicated. <laughs> it becomes softer. Yeah. And it's just maybe no longer separate. It's a separate layer, so it's, it's seamless. You know, that, that idea of suffering as dis-ease, as yeah. something out of balance. Yeah. So, you know, feeling scared about something or hurt or sad is pretty normal for humans, you know. But do you act from that place or do you act from, like, the place of Buddha? <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm so upset about this board. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, go back into the room and talk. Definitely. Maybe. Yes, David. It's interesting you talk about attachment from the very beginning. And I said, no, he's got this all wrong. <laughs> and I was thinking, but I always think of attachment as a cause of our suffering. Interesting. And you gave me a whole new perspective tonight that it's really suffering to be coming from outside of our attachment. Speak up a little bit. Speak up a little bit. That suffering is not always related to our attachments, but where there is suffering, there is always attachment. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I wasn't thinking in those terms. For me, it's always it's my attachment to having the world being right, the world being perfect, that's bringing my suffering. And yet, like you say, a car accident might not be. You know, the cause of my attachment, mm -hmm. but it does bring suffering because I am attached to something. Well, one of that, that difference is very subtle. Yeah. It's very, very important. One of the places where this gets taken to an extreme, uh, as uh, if you suffer for any reason, if you're dying of cancer, if your if your beloved spouse is dying of cancer, and you're suffering. You are suffering because of your delusion, because because you're deluded about life going on forever or something. And I think that's it's not only not very compassionate, but sometimes it gets taken into this kind of new age uh, way of looking at things that um, you caused your suffering by your ignorance and your your 
bad thinking or your inability to keep really clear in your thoughts. And, and the one who started that in this country in the 19th century was Mary Baker Eddy with, with Christian Science. And there is some truth to that, you know. But that's the problem with heresy is they take a, a sliver of the truth and make it the whole thing. And, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of a, a purist Christian scientist might say um, any illness, what's of any kind, even, a, even an accident, a broken bone can be healed by getting your thinking right. Or it wouldn't have happened in the first place if your thinking had been right. And that's where we kind of go off the rails, I think, in, in, in connecting uh, suffering with delusion uh, too tightly. Okay, go ahead. Does anyone in, on the Zoom world have anything to say? Can you tell me, Tiger? Yes. Hello, Brian. Hello there. Hi. Um, I, 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 I like what you're, what you're saying, but I think there's a part of it that um, is missing something. Which is, you know, the shooting today in um, near Chicago um, in Highland Park. You know, that's not the, the 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 cause of that kind of suffering. Isn't the victims' attachments? So, uh, one way I look at it is there's personal karma and there's c- communal karma. Right. Uh, cultural karma, whatever, uh, and, and that has its power too. So what all the things you said are fine, but that then if you think that everything that happens is because of some, some attachment I have, it's not that you cause, it's not that the people who were shot caused that. Um, so it's, so, so it's trick. This is very tricky because I, you know, I think the way you were talking about suffering, I think, is right. But also, there's our <clears throat> disjunction from things that happen in the world that have nothing to do with our personal karma. Uh, and then, and, and you were sort of getting at this: how we respond to that causes suffering, more suffering or not. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there isn't suffering just in, you know, the facts of, you know, uh, mass shootings or uh, racism or, you know, the kinds of things that happen in society. So it's complicated, I think. Well, just to finish that, this providing suffering in terms of attachment, that's a part of it. But there's also just... um, when the, the first noble truth be of of uh, suffering is that that we have difficulties, and some of it, and it's not that we cause all the difficulties, but then how do we respond from um, you know, as you were saying, an attachment? Oh, it shouldn't be like this. It should be the way I should think it should be. Um, that can increase our psychological suffering from it. So it's complicated. Anyway, I wanted to just add that to what you said. Thank you. And, and part of the complexity is that um, the person who did the shooting today and the availability of the gun and 
the attitudes of society currently, including Congress and lots and the NRA and lots of other factors, there's there's myriad causes and conditions that are all about delusion and attachment that caused that suffering. Yes. Right? In the person who pulled the trigger. And but it's it not pulled. Brian's delusion. Yeah. It's all of our delusion. Right. Know? And so, you know, I guess anything except for a pure accident, you know, like a, a rock rolling down a hill and, you know, crushing somebody or uh, a, a hurricane or something like that, uh, anything else that involves people, it's, it, it has some delusion and attachment in its origins. I have a question on that because for me, my suffering, my suffering about what went on in Highland Park today is that poor innocents were harmed. Yes. And to me, I suffer with that. Right. And the question, is that an attachment on my part? See, I was trying to say no. I was trying to say there are some form, there are some kinds of pain and suffering that are not, that we experience, that are not, we are not suffering just because we're attached. Or, be, or at all because we're attached. We are suffering because it is painful. But if you were to obsess about this and stay with it and maybe get really angry and go buy a gun yourself or uh, do nothing but, you know, I mean, if, if it should cause, if, if, if your attachments start getting involved in the suffering that you're feeling about this, then your, your attachments are part of, part of the suffering too. Yeah, my my suffering starts when I say this is painful. Yeah, I want I want to go get a gun and kill Mitch McConnell and and yeah. six justices on the Supreme Court or whatever. Yeah, yeah that's my, that's my attachment. Yeah, yeah, and at least even more suffering. Um, but it's just it's, it's I don't know quite how to live with the pain. Yeah. That I saw today. Yeah. Quite I, I know. I don't quite know how to do that. I know. I want to respond to David, if I may. Um, David, when you said that you felt bad or you, you felt pain hearing about the shooting, that's not suffering exactly. That's that's compassion and sympathy. When that becomes obsessive and you're caught by it and it and it uh freezes you from responding as as best you can to that situation, then, you know, uh, that may be suffering. But your pain feeling the suffering of others, that's not suffering. That's compassion. Thank you for the clarification. Thank you. What strikes me is that, is that maybe a, um, you know, I, I, I've been learning that the Dharma is is not um, Western rational, linear. Uh, you know, we can't pin it down. And we often talk about that, how we have a feeling about it and we, we express it, but we can't really explain it. So in this regard, we're talking about a very complex set of realities. We're talking about pain, accidents, harm that people do, reasons for uh, suffering that we cause ourselves or that we cause other people, our response to it, and all that stuff. And it is, 
uh, it's not possible, at least for me, to uh, put them all in a nice, neat little uh, package. I mean, it's it's just all there, and and the question ultimately comes down to how do we come to know our own attachments that might cause further harm to ourselves and others, and how do we bring compassion to the situation for ourselves and for others? Jerry, I just want to do a time check. When, when are we supposed to wrap up? No. No? Just a time. Any, are there any other last thoughts or questions or anything? Anybody who hasn't had a chance to speak yet? Would like to? Yes, Kathy. Uh, thank you for your talk. I, it surprised me. I've got thoughts going in all different directions. But one of the things that comes to my mind is speak up, Kathy. Uh, being able to forgive yourself is part of this. Yeah. So uh, dealing with it, you're in, dealing with your attachment to suffering. I think of the core things, or that each of us personally have something uh, that maybe recurs and yeah. shows up again and again. And there's something about forgiveness that is part of letting that go, or dealing with it as best we can and not getting stuck in it. And that forgiveness feels like it's helped myself and by this practice in general. And that's wonderful. Uh, And I think forgiveness is especially important with recurring attachments that we can't seem to get rid of. And, And because they started really early, and there were forces way beyond our puny little powers, and the causes and conditions were going back generations and, and in our society and everything else. And it's much bigger than we are. And it's it's sort of like you know, saying again to a little kid, you're doing the best you can, given the circumstances. Well, thank you all for this conversation. Appreciate it.